You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome everybody in here today, either if you're a regular attender or a member, even if you're a guest today, we just want to welcome you. And if you're watching online, either live right now, hey, welcome. And if you're watching later this week, we're just glad that you're tuning in to what's going on here. And uh, this is really the end of the series. There are so many more things to say. I've tried to make some videos, put them online on Facebook and, and Facebook Live. I'll do some more this week if I get a chance. There's so much more to say, but we're going to conclude the story of a guy named Abram, who last week, his name was finally changed to Abraham, a really, really really, really amazing guy, and I see myself in his story all the time, and I think you will also, but I can't get past the difficulty of today's story. It's kind of screaming in my face, and you're going to see it too in just a moment. So let me bring you up to speed. We got a guy named Abram, and he has been led by God. God literally came to him at around 75 years old and said, Abram, I want you to go to a land I will show you. Where is that? I'll let you know when you get there. And I'm going to give this land to you, Abram, and I want you to know I'll be with you. So everybody who blesses you, I'll bless. Everybody who curses you, I'll curse. I will protect you. I will provide for you. And I will make you the father of many. Well, it's a little bit of a problem. He's 75 years old, and he doesn't have any kids yet. Abram, Abraham lives to a very, very, very old age, much older than we would live today. So back then, people lived much, much longer. However, you got to realize, 75 years old, you know, 75 might have been the old 50. You know, I don't know how you call that, you know, orange is the new black, whatever that is. Anyway, the whole thing is, he wasn't 75 by our standards, but he was still much older. And apparently, the body worked similar in that every time they get a little older and a little older and a little older in the story, he and his wife, Sarah, keep lamenting to God, well, how are you going to fulfill this promise, God? I mean, we're now this old. We're now this old. We're now 80. We're now 85. We're now 90. Like, God, isn't it past our prime? Isn't it past possibility? And God keeps reminding Abraham, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. So without me doing any more explaining, I want to read a long portion of today's text to you. And I'm just going to ask that you follow along on the screen, open up your Bible app, open up a Bible, whatever, however you want to do it. Genesis chapter 22, I'll be reading out of what's called the NIV, the New International Version. You can read out of whatever version you have. It should be close enough to get there together. I don't normally just sit and read long texts without making comments. We'll see how I do. Here we go. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early in the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. 
Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, to Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. One of the hardest texts in the whole Bible. Now, if you're a Christian or if you've grown up in church, maybe you went to VBSs or, or visited with your grandparents as a child growing up, whatever the story was for you, you've heard the story. So maybe you know exactly where it's going next. And if that's the case, then maybe over the years, you've been able to rationalize this text. You've been able to make sense of this text in some way. But let me just tell you real quick. So if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, or you've made peace with this text, I'll just tell you this text is not easy if you've not yet made peace with it. In fact, people who yet do not believe in God, have not really trusted Jesus as their Savior, this would be one of those texts that makes them go, the God you claim to believe in is a psychopath. He takes a man, 75 years old, tells him, I'm going to make you the father of many, gives him no children, continues to let him run into struggle and, and, and pain and issues, only to finally give him a child and say, now kill him. He's a crazy man. And honestly, you may be sitting here hearing this story and thinking, yeah, help me a little bit, pastor. I've been visiting now for a few weeks or I've been visiting for six months and I, I think I'm stepping over the line of faith, but it's, it's a very fragile faith right now and I'm not sure what to do with this God. Well, there's many, many important things going on in the text that we have got to resolve for us today in order to understand what's going on and why it's important. And here's my caution to you. So you who've been a Christian for a long time, you've already made peace with this text, you kind of know where it's going, the big arc of scripture, you get all that, you read the text, it jumps out of you, you can't not see it. Let me just remind you of something. Abraham had no idea how this story connects to the things that you're connecting it to. This made no sense to Abraham in that way. So the whole point of the text, which we will get to before the sermon's over, but I'm intentionally not discussing yet. The whole point of what's going on here points to something bigger and more significant for me and for you today. But it's not what maybe people outside of faith think. In my studies this week, I listened to a very, very, very long teaching by a very famous uh, professor at a very established school. I'll leave it at that. He is not a person of faith by his own uh, kind of credit. He, he, in fact, he was asked in the question and answer period at the end of this teaching, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? And he basically said no. I mean, he gave a very professorial answer and didn't actually say no, but he basically said, no, I'm not. However, I study history and, and I study the stories in the Bible and I see in them, the power in them is the power of sacrifice, the human will, the human ability to overcome any challenge. It's not that Abraham had faith that God was going to do something. It's specifically that the human ingenuity, the human courage, the human strength is so profound that when put to the test, it can overcome anything. And I thought, wow, 
you are missing it. Because I don't know about you, but I still don't yet know if that's it, if that's the point of the story. It's a story that humans have told over years. Whether it's true or not, who knows? But it's a story that connects to the human soul. What do I do with a God who says, kill your son? How can I trust a God who does these things? And maybe more so, how can I trust a God who, according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, says, sometime later, God tested Abraham? Okay, so question, does God test us? If so, how do I know if God's testing me or Satan's tempting me? James is very clear, if you read the book of James later in the New Testament, one of the leaders in the early church, that God cannot tempt anybody. It would go against his character, against his nature. But I get temptations. But is that a test? How do I know? Well, the scripture seems to emphatically say this is God testing Abraham. Why does God even need to test Abraham? I mean, leave the poor guy alone. He's, he finally had a child at 100 years old. I mean, he's, he's well into his hundreds by now. By all accounts, we don't know exactly because it just says sometime later. By all accounts, Isaac is a teenager at this point. And to be honest, who hasn't wanted to kill their teenager at some point? So, I mean, you can understand to some extent where God's like, Abraham, I'm just trying to do you a favor, bro. Teenagers in the room, we love you, we're teasing. You'll be a parent one day, you might get it. All right. I believe, by the way, God gave us kids so that we can understand why our parents wanted to kill us. So, <laughs> what was I saying? That was under the message. <laughs> that was just extra. Abraham, yes. So Abraham, is it a test? Well, it says it's a test. So what is the purpose of the test? Does God know the future already? Or does he not? If God already knows the future, then why a test? I don't want to spend today's message on that point. I just want to raise the anxiousness of that point so that, Christian, you can feel what everybody who's not yet where you are in faith is feeling. Because, see, you've resolved some of these things, believer, but those who are still struggling with this, they've not resolved it. And I don't blame you, those of you who are sitting here and you're not sure about faith. The short version of a very long sermon would be this. Absolutely, God tests us. But the test is intended to reveal who we really are. And he knows who we are. In the Old Testament, God makes bets on a guy named Job with Satan. Satan comes to him, hey, I want to trip up Job. God's like, do it. He'll, He'll curse you to your face. No, he won't. So did God allow Satan to do things to Job? Yes. But what did it do in the end? It revealed that Job really did love God all the way through the pain to the end. Jesus comes to the disciples and says, Peter, I want you to know Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And Peter, I prayed for you so that after you have fallen, turn back and take care of the brothers. Feed my sheep. That's a profound statement because I want, I've always wondered, like, why didn't, why didn't you just say no? Satan's asked to sift you. And you told him no, right? No, I said go ahead. What? Why would you do that? Because I believe in you, Peter. Except for Peter, you're not going to be Job. You're going to fail. Well, am I done then? No. Just turn back. I'll forgive you. We'll move forward. See, this is the message of Scripture over and over and over again. Faith, if it's only a belief, an idea, a concept in our head, it's not enough. It's not enough for me, let alone for God or for the world. 
And the problem with the story of Job, part of the problem with the story of Abraham is they are extremely blessed. Wealth out the wazoo. By some estimations, Abraham would have been one of the most wealthy people of his day. I told you a week or two ago, he has to have at least a thousand people in his care at that point. It's some estimations say he had as many as 2,500. That would have been among the largest cities in the world in the day, and he's the president. He's father of the whole clan, the whole deal. It all belongs to him. He's the owner. He's the whatever you want to call it, the king. That's him. They didn't have those titles then, but that's what he was. It's hard sometimes to believe a guy like that has real faith when that faith has never really been put to the test. But Abraham has tested, it seems like, at every turn. Why? Well, because God is taking a a 75-year-old man who's wealthy, and he's about to increase his wealth, his prominence, his blessing, and God wants to make absolutely certain that Abraham trusts God. Here's a key for you, friends. Faith. Faith is the key to unlock God's blessings in your life. And this is not what we call a health and wealth sermon. But God's blessings, God's intentions, God's purposes, God's plans for your life get unlocked by faith. That doesn't mean Christians don't ever suffer. Jesus suffered. That doesn't mean Christians die. Every Christian I've ever heard of has died. That doesn't mean Christians never go through tests. Seems like every Bible hero I've read about at some point faces one. Some pass, some fail, and they have to repent and go on with God anyway. Is that not your story and my story? It is, right? So then what's going on here? Well, it was common in Abraham's day that there were these false gods that many of the Canaanites, the Philistines, and the others in the area worshipped. And some of those false gods actually practiced a child sacrifice. It was such an offensive idea to God that when we get into the, the law books, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we find God specifically condemning this whole concept. And yet later in Israel's history, hundreds and hundreds of years after Abraham, they would actually practice these very things, trying to appease these false gods of other religions and of other nations by sacrificing their children. In fact, they would even do it in the Valley of Gehenna. And if you know anything about your Bible, that's where Jesus refers to as a place called hell. It's a word called Gehenna. And it's a valley where they would do these evil things. And then later in Jesus' day, it was actually the trash dump valley and all the recluse or whatever for refuse from the city would go out to that place and it would burn day and night. And Jesus was pointing to that place saying, remember that evil place where Evil things have happened, and there's trash burning there 24-7, and he calls it Gehenna, the word we translate as hell today. It's a visual picture of this is what it's like to be separated from God. Evil things happen there. But here in this text of Genesis 22, God goes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm calling you to sacrifice your son. But see, we don't have the law. The law comes 450 or 500 years later or so when Moses meets God on top of a mountain, a really important mountain. And God meets him there and he tells him, this is who I am and this is what I expect from my people. So then who are you, God? Abraham doesn't know the answer to that question. Just like many of you don't. And you're still wrestling. You're trying to figure it out. And there's always been something inside you that says, there has to be a higher being, a higher power 
And because we live in a Christian nation, the dot that's been connected for you the most is that it must be the God of the Bible, but maybe he's no different than any God anywhere else. I mean, maybe God and Buddha are the same. I don't know. Maybe Allah and God are the same. I'm not sure. I just know there's something out there, and I want to pay homage to him so that he'll bless me and be for me. What God is doing in Abraham is what God wants to do in you and in me today. Here it is. God wants you to have faith that he and he alone is God. And I got to warn you, so if, if you're still checking out this Jesus character, who we believe is actually God in the flesh, if you're still checking him out and you're just not sure, you just need to know something. At some point, Jesus is going to ask you to sacrifice the thing that is most important to you. And you may not even know what it is yet. But the moment that he does, you'll know. Because there will be something inside of you that will scream, I can't do that. That's too scary, it's too intimidating, it's too painful. I'm not sure I can succeed, I'm not sure I can go through with it, I'll lose my reputation, I'll lose my house, I'll lose everything, God, if you take that away from me. And I'm just telling you, because I love you and I want you to know where he's leading you. It takes time, but he will ask. It took him roughly 25 years more than that, probably more like 30 years to make this request of Abraham. They're way into their walk and their journey together. God has shown over and over and over again to Abraham just how faithful he is. But I want you to notice something. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son. And it says, early the next morning, verse three, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Early? Don't you think you might have slept in a little that day? God, I know you want me to do this really big, scary thing. I'm not even sure how I'm going to explain this to Sarah when I get back. But I'm going to get up early and get started. The old man, again, well into his hundreds at this point, the old man goes out and chops some wood. What in the world is going through his mind in that moment? We aren't told. We only know he's got this diligence. I must get up and I must obey. See, there's a difference. If you go back and read early in Abraham's story, I believe it's around chapter 12, if you read around there, God tells Abram uh, to go to a land that he will show him, and he kind of goes but doesn't make it all the way. He stops, camps out for a while, waits for his dad to die, and then he ends up going the rest of the way. But now, here we are, fast forward, 30 or 40 years into Abraham's life, and he does immediate obedience. Abraham has grown. Maybe this is a little side question for you today. For those of you who aren't new at this, you've been doing this for a while, can you say that your faith is greater today? So that much that if God asks you to do something, you'll literally get up early to do it. Even if it is the hardest, most painful thing that God has ever asked you to do. If the answer is no, then let me just tell you, you are not yet done. Oh, God's not going to quit on you. That's not who he is. But he's not yet got you to the place of full surrender. It's a place that terrifies me. I just want to tell everybody in the room, believer and unbeliever, it's a place that terrifies me because I think 98% faith is a whole lot easier than 100% faith. There are those things, right, that we hang on to, we hold on to, and we say, God, not that, anything but that. God says, well, then I know what it is I need to go after next. 
I remember when I was uh, in college, I swore, God, I will do anything you ask of me. Just do not ask me to be the senior pastor of a church or a missionary. Anything but those two things. I'm afraid for when he might call me to the second one. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons for me that I don't have time to go into. Let's come back to Abraham's story, but I'll tell you this. It was fear. Abraham gets up early the next day, and notice he grabs two servants and Isaac. And as he does, he says to his two servants, stay here. Don't come with us. Part of me thinks they'll stop me if if they go with me. I mean, they love me. They've seen this saga unfold. There's no way they'll let me go through with it. So he says, you stay here. But then he makes this profound statement. I don't know if you saw it in the text. Go back and look if you'd like. It's in Genesis 22. But he says, me and the boy will come back here after we worship together. We only have one of two options, right? The only two options, and I believe I used to preach this text wrong, so I'm correcting myself. Hey, look, it's possible for me to be wrong. It's nice to know the second time ever happened, so you can be here to be a part of it. I thought it was funny. Anyway, my wife's not here to hold me accountable. Okay, I believe I've preached this text wrong in the past. There's two options. Option A, he's lying, He doesn't want anybody to know. So, hey, me and the boy, we're going to go worship. We'll come back. He's continuing his pattern of deception that we've seen throughout Abraham's life. I don't think that's it at all. And the reason I don't is because I think the Bible tells us. Option B is he really honestly believes somehow God is going to bring Isaac back. Why? Well, because if you've been following the story, if you read some of the chapters we didn't fill in, you will see this. God not only said to Abraham over and over and over again, I will give you descendants as numerous as the sand of the shores. I'll give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. No, he says specifically, I will give you descendants and they will come from Isaac. Well, he's a teenager. That process hasn't begun. So Abraham somehow in his mind rationalized, I don't know what God has in mind, but he must be able to bring my son back from the dead. Why not? He already brought him from a dead womb. If this is God's intention, so be it. Then I will trust him and let the chips fall where they may. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Now this book came along thousands of years, thousands of years after the fact, but it's inspired by God. He said, I want you to understand what's happening here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith... Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now, what the Hebrew writer is trying to get to is really where we're about to go. He's connecting Isaac's story to a bigger, more important story, the story that we really need to understand today. But what it revealed to us is Abraham, in his mind, wasn't trying to deceive his servants. He wasn't trying to deceive Isaac. When Isaac said to him, "Um, Dad, I'm a little confused here. We're going to make a sacrifice, you say, and we're going to do this to God, and I get it. I can see all the great things that God's done for you. I hear about this profound relationship that you have with God, though I'm not sure exactly what all that means right now. I'm just curious, where's this animal we're going to sacrifice? We're kind of out in this desert, arid area. There's not a lot of things around here. Dad, don't worry, son. God's going to provide the sacrifice. Now, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, you're it, kid. I mean, it's no surprise he had to bind him, right? 
hey, come here, Isaac. Would you just stand still for a minute? Like, sure, Dad, what are you doing? Well, it's all part of the ritual, trust me. What? I've always wondered, did he gag him? I mean, because otherwise, what's he going to do when he's on the altar? Dad, Dad, what are you doing? Dad, stop, Dad, no! In the Hebrew, it is so clear, according, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but according to one thing I, I listened to this week, and the Hebrew is so clear that Abraham had made up his mind. The moment where he pulls out the dagger or whatever it was he was going to use to slay his son, he was, so, he was, not, he had no, he was not one of these you know, dramatic moments in Hollywood where it was like, change my mind, change my mind, come on God, where are you, where are you? No, I'm going to do this. I'm not hesitating. I'm, there's literally no hesitation in my body. I bound my son. I laid him on the altar. You talk about counseling needed after this moment. I said, no wonder Isaac had to grow in his understanding of God. So what's going on? Well, let's take a look where, where it goes next. Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel from heaven said. Do not do anything to him. <clears throat> now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And now we get to see some sprinkling of what really is going on in this story. Let me just tell you real quick, whether you're a believer or you're checking God out and you don't know where you stand, all of the tests that we go through in life are intended to do two primary things. Number one, to grow us closer to God. Either we succeed and we find out in faith that God will come through, or we fail and we find out in repentance that God's grace is sufficient for us. Either way, we win. As believers, we win. But the reason we win, get this, is because God's one and only son. Just like Isaac. Remember Isaac, the wood for the sacrifice that would kill him was placed upon his back. And he carried it up the mountain. By the way, most scholars estimate <clears throat> it's the very same mountain where Jesus was crucified. How in the world do you explain that? That thousands of years later, Jesus would carry his own wood for his own sacrifice up the very same hill Isaac carried up? Isaac, Abraham's one and only son, just like Jesus is God's one and only son. Notice in Genesis chapter 22, verse 13, we're jumping if you're following along in the notes. Verse 13, jump down with me. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So here is Abraham about to kill, slay his own son. And, and the angel of the Lord, which is probably Jesus anyway, now I know, now I know, Abraham, that you love me more than anything else. Do not lay a hand on your son. I am not like those foreign gods. 
Yes, I will test you, but I will bless you. I will protect you. I will show up in your life. I am not like those foreign gods. I have no intention to simply hurt you. I have no desire to see you kill your children. None. I am not evil. I am good. And I will provide a sacrifice. And the sacrifice that was provided was a ram. And the ram was in the thicket. But wait a minute. Do you remember when Isaac is carrying his wood up the mountain and he looks and he says, Dad, where is the lamb? He didn't say a ram. You think it was just an accident in the Hebrew texts? Oh, no. There are no accidents in the scriptures. Every time you come across something like that, you should go, why? Well, we know that God couldn't provide a lamb on that mountain because the lamb that would be provided on that mountain would come a couple thousand years later. God provided a ram instead of a lamb because the lamb was not yet here. Remember those two things I told you, that your life, your testings, they all do a couple things, right? Your life is always going to do something for you. There's always going to be something in what you're going through that's going to grow you and your family and everybody around you. When Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, you need to understand God will not waste a moment of your life, not the joy, not the pain, not the grief, not the sorrow, not the celebration. He will not waste it. It's all part of the training process. It's all part of growth our faith in him so that you are equipped to encourage and bless and pour into the lives of other people. You can clap. Yeah, give God the glory. And God didn't waste a moment in Abraham or Isaac's life because it all pointed to Jesus. And that's the point. Please understand this. If you're checking out God, that is the point. If you are a Christian, that is the point. There is a moment of what's going on in Abraham's life and Isaac's life that is about Abraham and Isaac. But then there's the bigger picture. The arc of the Bible, the arc of my life, the arc of your life, where it all points to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the ram was found in the thicket? Some translate that word in Hebrew, thicket, as thorns. Shouldn't surprise us then, then the lamb that was slayed had a crown of thorns placed on his head. And it's, how do you, how do you figure these things out? This weekend, uh, my, my oldest, Matthias, um, who's, who's a little bit of a savant, I mean, he's like a genius, but he's asking all these really hard Bible questions. He doesn't think of heart, like at faith he believes them, but he's asking them, a part of it is because he loves the study universe, and so he's asking all these great questions about stars and planets and God and all these things that, that are probably bigger than my brain can handle, and he's eight, so I'm in trouble, pray for me. But... Um, we're talking, and it leads to kind of these theological points about God. And I start making these points to my son to help him understand his place in the bigger picture. And I'm making this very point to him about realize uh, what God has done in your life, son, is for a purpose, is to bring him glory. I just get to experience the blessing that he's placed you in my family for this season. It's about now, it's about then. It's about here, it's about, it's about there. It's about you, and it's about others. That is the story that God is writing and unfolding in all of us, and he's doing it in Abraham. So my question for you today, for you to really wrestle with this, 
What has happened or what is happening in your life that you just need a little bit more faith, maybe even a lot more faith to hang on just a little longer, to press through that you might be one of the major displays of God's grace to a world that desperately needs to know there is hope beyond this moment. You remember all those terrible things you went through and you wondered, why God, why, where are you? What are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Or as I've often heard, what do I need to do to make you stop doing this, God? And what if God's answer is simply and yet profoundly, trust me, that's all I need you to do. I have a plan for you, and it's going to point back to me. Have faith. Have faith. I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished with your story. Will you trust me? If faith is a key that unlocks the door to God's blessings, and I believe that it is, you do realize you still have to put the key in the door. You still have to turn the key. You still have to grab the handle, twist it, open the door, and walk through. It's not enough to simply grab the key and go, ha-ha, I've got a key. I know what I'll do. I'll stick it in my pocket. That will be glorious. Imagine if that first time when God said to Abraham, Abraham, here I am. I want you to go and sacrifice your son. Go on the mountain, I'll show you. And, and Abraham wakes up the next day and he doesn't do it. He wakes up the next day and he doesn't do it. And God goes, Abraham, yeah, God, I thought I told you to go sacrifice your son. I, I, you did. Why aren't you doing it? Well, I believe that you're going to resurrect him from the dead. So why didn't you do it? Because I trust you, God. No, no, Abraham, I don't think you understand. I told you to go and do this. I know, and I believe, God, that you can fix anything. No, wait, Abraham, if you believe me, then do something about it. I, I know, God, that sounds really good. No, no, Abraham, I'm telling you, sacrifice your son. Could you imagine if that conversation went like that? God might go, oh, we're going to do another 100 years. It's going to take a while. And yet, is that not how our conversation with God goes? I need you to go talk to this person, have this conversation. Oh, God, I, I know you can, you, can, you can absolutely fix that. I know you can. Okay, go talk to him. I believe you, God. You can handle anything. I know, God, I know, God, if I, if I just step out of faith and I just become uh, more generous with my time and my efforts and my money, I know, I know, God, you could take care of it. I know you could do that. Okay, so you're going to act? I know you can, God. You're going to do something about it? I believe you. You're so good. I know, God, that if I go talk to my neighbors and I actually tell them who you are and what you've done in my life, I know, I, I know that you can actually go before me. It might actually blow me away that they are ready for me when I show up. I know you can do that. Okay, so you're going to go? You are such a good God. I believe in you. But do you? I mean, the purpose of testing is simply to answer the question for me and for God, do you? I love this. So I want you to put up Genesis twenty-two twelve again. Look at Genesis twenty-two twelve. When the angel of the Lord, again, I believe it's Jesus, says, do not lay a hand on the boy, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. The word know there is an interesting little word in the Bible. Here it is. Now I know that you believe God. This is the Hebrew word yada. It's the word that's used throughout Genesis to refer to a very specific intimate moment between a husband and a wife. 
Are you with me? It's the same word used when these angelic beings show up and go to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're at Lot's house, and these um, evil men who are immoral in the community come and say, bring out your guests. We want to get to know them. And God says, this is an evil place. Let's destroy it. Many have tried to rationalize in America today, given the cultural wars we're going through, that what really is being said there is they just want to hang out with them and sip coffee with them and just get to know them. That is not what the word yada means. The word yada means, and by the way, it's the same word used in many places to refer to a man entering into his wife's tents for a night together. Are you with me? It's a word of intimacy. Now, the context of the word tells you what the word means in the moment. So it may refer to that kind of intimacy, or it may simply refer to an intimacy of two close friends, which is exactly what God is saying here. Not that he and Abraham had that kind of intimate moment, but simply that now, because Abraham acted out his faith, he didn't just have a belief or an idea in his head, it followed with action. Now, God has this intimate understanding of Abraham. Did you know that we're told in two or three different places of the Bible, Abraham is called a friend of God? Do you know why that's important? Because Abraham's friendship with God was solidified in his actions with God. God doesn't long to be in a relationship with you where you don't talk, you don't communicate, and there's no action. Just like any of you who are married, you have no desire to be in a marriage where the other person doesn't reciprocate the marriage, right? Men, you get frustrated when your wives aren't intimate with you. I hear it all the time. Like, she's just not attracted to me, she's not loving me, am I not good enough, what's going on? Wives, you get frustrated when your husbands are so wrapped up in their jobs and in their sports, their hobbies, their buds, whatever it is, golf, sports, whatever it is, you get so irritated, you're like, am I just not important enough? Am I not valued enough for him to actually take time out of his life and day to pour into us? Kids, or when you were a child, didn't it just drive you bonkers that your parents were seen to be invested in everything else in the world and they had no margin, no time for you? Everybody wants to be known and cared for and loved, especially by those closest to them. And God is saying, Abraham, you and I are so close that I know you. You know why? Because you don't just say you trust me. You show it by your actions. James chapter 2, verse 21. Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works? When he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar, isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? That faith expresses itself in works? That the works are works of faith. The full meaning of believe in the scripture's sentence. Abraham believed God and was set right with God. This includes action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by faith, fruitful in works? What are we to do with all of this? I think we just do what Abraham did. After God provides the ram from the thicket, and Abraham's like, glad he didn't have to bring him back from the dead. I was not sure how that was going to go over with Sarah. 
after that, notice in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You've probably heard this phrase before. In the Hebrew, the Lord will provide, that phrase there says Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, that word there is Jehovah Jireh. The literal Hebrew, since that's a transliteration in English, the literal Hebrew is Yahweh Yireh. It literally means Yahweh who sees will see to it. And you're like, I don't even understand what that means. Well, if you just want to take Jehovah Jireh and make it really easy English, it's the Lord will provide. I, don't, I just think this is way deeper. Why? Because what Abraham just pronounced over God. God didn't look at Abraham and say, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am Yahweh Yireh. You worship me in this way. No, 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 no. Instead, Abraham noticed that in his moment of deepest pain, in his moment of deepest anguish, when his fears had to meet his faith and he had to go with faith over fear, when those things collided, what happened was when God showed up, Abraham said, you are the God who sees and you are the God who will see to it. In other words, God is intimately and actively involved in every moment of your life. He is not disengaged. We don't believe in a deistic God who set the world in motion and now is separated from us going, well, that stinks and that stinks. And man, I wish you'd avoided that one. I'll make sure it doesn't get wasted. No, he is watching every moment, every detail of your life. He's there in the dark corners. You don't want him to be there. He's there in the bright corners celebrating with you in life's greatest moments. He's there in the pain holding you and carrying you. He's there in the moments when others hurt you or abuse you and he's carrying you and he's weeping with you. He sees everything, and he's seeing too your every single need. He is our Jehovah Jireh. And oh, that we would trust him the way Abraham does. That we could literally go all in with this God. I said, God, I'm not going to hold anything back from you. Whatever you ask of me, I'll do. Where you go, I'll go. You lead, I'll follow. Just tell me to move, and I'm there. I think that's why. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 18. 1 Peter 1, 18, I should say, sorry. Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead end, empty-handed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb, and this was no afterthought. Even though it has only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. It's because of the sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know your, you have a future in God. you get nothing else today, I want you to get this. You have a future in God. So here's the question. If God were to ask you to do anything, would you do it? Here's what I want to do. If you're with me, 
that you want faith like Abraham, then I'm going to ask right now, I'm going to start a prayer, and we're going to go right into communion, and I'm going to ask you to carry this prayer into communion, and I'm going to ask you to just let the Lord speak whatever he wants into your life right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Abraham's example of faith. Father, thank you that when you said, Abraham, he responded with, here, Yahweh, here I am. Thank you that when you told him to take his one and only son, the son that he'd longed for, prayed for, for three decades at that point, loved, cherished, oh, thank you, God, that when you said take him and sacrifice him, thank you, God, that as an example to us, he got up early the next morning to obey. Father, when Jesus was here on earth, he told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's my struggle, God, and here's our prayer this morning. In heaven, the angels don't bicker about who's going to do your will and when and can they put it off. In heaven, the angels respond with a resounding yes and yes now. In fact, every time we see it in scripture, they're begging you, let me go. Let me fulfill your will. Let me be faithful to you, Father. Let it be done in us as it is in heaven. Here's my prayer, Father. Right now, we're going into communion. We're about to celebrate the sacrifice of Isaac that never happened to Isaac, but happened instead to Abraham's future blessing and descent to Jesus when he died on the same mountain, when he became the lamb that was slain, wearing the, the thicket on his head. God, we're here to celebrate that with this bread and this juice. And God, our ask right now, our profound ask is this. Would you speak to us? God, would you right now, for every man and woman and child with heart open to you online or live right now in this room, God, I pray that you would speak and answer this one question, what do you want from me, Father? And Lord, I trust your spirit to speak so profoundly. God, may you draw sin from its dark corners into the light that people might find healing and find that you actually are a faithful God. May those who are carrying the weight of their shame and poor decisions, Father, right now find that you are a faithful God, that you are sufficient. Your grace is enough to wash away their sin. And I pray that those who have been walking with you uprightly, justly, God, I pray that you would move them to an even deeper trust and faith God, I pray that right now as you speak to one person in a marriage or another, I pray that marriages all over because of this prayer are fixed as one person in the marriage says, I will not quit. God, I pray for those who are sick and hurting and their faith is struggling because they don't know where you are. God, convince them right now that you are with them and you're not finished. May they use their pain for your glory. I have no idea all the ways you want to speak, God, but I pray right now it would be so profound that there would be stories erupting from this place of your moving in our hearts. 
speak and your servants will answer. Yes, here I am, Lord. Send me. Go ahead and talk to God now.